0: and welcome to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about building up new farm ground. And this is an interesting topic for me for sure, but I would think it would be for just about everybody because you know sooner or later there's going to be an opportunity. There's going to be some ground across the road or next to one of your fields that somebody wants to rent to you or somebody wants to sell to you. And the question is How do you figure out the time period that it's going to take to make that ground amazing? And then, you know, how much are you willing to invest and what are your targets and so forth? So we've got a big discussion on building up new farm ground coming up. We're also going to be taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, when it comes to building up new farm ground, you and I have both had the opportunity in recent years here to pick up a field here or there, and we've kind of got a little different strategy compared to many, and I know it wouldn't be the same strategy if we were in our 20s anymore, but uh, when you're in your 50s, you got a shot to do things a little faster if you want to.
1: Well, I, I mean, age doesn't make any difference. What does make a difference, though, is if you have available capital. And the way that I look at this whole thing is if I paid, you never buy ground super cheap, it seems like. So you've already paid good money for the ground or what you believe is good money. And I just look at it as if I take some more dollars and invest in that ground long term to make it great, I think I'm going to come out money ahead. So in terms of building up the soil, I look at tile and I look at fertility. But see, most people don't look at fertility as a long-term investment they view fertility as a short-term investment well it's not because if you put in in and I'm talking about now our heavy soils where the ground's frozen for five months out of the year and we barely get any rain there's no way we're ever in our soils losing potassium but in some soils you could but in almost all soils you look at phosphorus zinc copper I mean they're not leaching away so I, I I just view those as long-term assets for my farm. So when I invest in phosphorus, what I apply, especially if it's broadcast, I mean, there's very little chance that I'm going to use up even a majority of that phosphorus this year. It's probably going to take me 20 years to pull out every one of those pounds that I put on this year, seriously. And so I just look at, hey, if I need to build that soil up anyway, let's just do it right up front. Let's have it over with. I'll just spend the money right now. And we've kind of arrived at this, too, after doing all the trials we have for years and years, figuring out, all right, well, we can do a slow build. We could do, you know, a quick build, whatever. I'm all for the quick build. So you mentioned age. I mean, the only reason why age to me plays into it is if you're a like I am and you go (laughs) –
0: No, no, no. It's It's finances. That's that's what I was getting at. Is in your twenties, you're just getting started. In your fifties, you got some equity.
1: But we already talked about. I already mentioned that earlier. I'm 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 putting finance to the side. I'm saying the only reason age just by itself matters is if you have fewer years left to farm. You want that piece to be great sooner because you want to either sell it for more money or you want to leave it in better condition for the next generation. So if you don't have a lot of time left, now, granted, if you're a farmer in your mid-50s, you're actually still a young farmer because the average age of the farmer is still older than that. But the point is, I I want it to happen fast. So anyway, yeah, that's kind of the way I look at this thing for building up ground. It's tile and it's fertility mainly. A little bit of dirt work, but those are the big things.
0: You know, I I think about that. Those are big. Those are big. And then the other thing is just adjusting pH because I know I just recently picked up some ground that that is really low in pH and getting the lime out there right away was was on my list. And here's the thing. When you've got all these supply issues and your your lime person says, hey, can I come next week and get it done? Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> I would love to have gotten my tile done first, but we froze up too soon and didn't happen. But we managed to get the the lime out there just ahead of that, so that that worked out pretty good.
1: Yeah, and I kind of view lime as fertility. But I mean, if you want to call it separate, I totally can understand that. I I am a big believer in getting that ground in good shape because if we can do this sooner rather than later then we we get more yield sooner rather than later. But here's the downside. Like in a year like this year, when fertilizers triple in price, what it was just a year ago, it's really hard for me to spend that money to build it up long term. Because I I say, what are the odds that in the next three years, fertilizer is going to be cheaper than this at any point? So is there some day in the next three years where I can buy fertilizer cheaper than today? I'd be absolutely shocked if that answer was not yes. So I I think you're going to have a chance to buy at a much cheaper price. So when I look at, okay, I'm going to invest money that I'm going to pull out for the next 20 years on this fertility end of things. Well, why would you want to do it all in one shot if the price is absolutely ridiculous right now? So honestly, if I was buying new ground this year, even though, yes, I'd love to throw a bunch of money at it and make it great. Uh, there's no point being dumb about it either so we got to say you know what let's just get on the little build program once fertilizer goes cheap again that's when we're going to hit it hard
0: you know, the other thing, just thinking about if you don't know the history on that ground and you don't know what the weed control strategy is and whatever, you, you just got to go all in on weed control as well. This is ground that, you know, even if you think, ah, I don't think it was too bad in the past, you just got to be smart about that up front because you just don't want to have problems, especially in a year like this year where some of the post-emerge issues or I'm sorry, post-emerge products like Roundup and Liberty are really high priced compared to what they've been previous years you want to make sure you can do everything you can with your pre so I would say you just plan on hey I'm going to be in defense mode this first year and I know I'm not going to get all my fertility into my crop year one very likely so I'm going to be concerned about hey I might have insects I might have disease I might have weeds let's just put the full program out there year one too All right, we're going to talk about building up new farm ground and and taking care of those new fields on today's show. We're also going to tackle any agronomic question that you want to bring up at 844-44-AG-PHD, or just chat about what you're doing on your farm right now. I know there's a lot of plans happening to get ready for this next planting season. It's coming up pretty quick. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back.
2: This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13for13 at farmshopmfg.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio. Today, we're talking about building up new farm ground. And when you pick up a new piece of ground... We just got done last week with the Ag PhD Soils Clinic, and I asked some of the younger guys that were in the group, and I said, hey, when you pick up a new piece of ground, is it really highly fertile, or what's been your experience? And you know where I'm going, because I think every single one said, no, it's usually been mined out for a long time, so we know we've got some building to do. And When I was a younger agronomist uh, a few years back, I, I met a farmer who was really kind of famous for, man, he picks up a piece of ground, he turns it around almost overnight. And so I wanted to find out what he was doing. Well, he was putting out a large rate of P&K and doing his whole build program in one shot. And he said, you know, I just figured it out over the years that this works. So I'm just biting the bullet year one. So hopefully by year two or for sure year three, I've got awesome ground. Well, we've got a pretty incredible farmer here, Kelly Garrett, down in the state of Iowa, high-yielding corn grower. Kelly, when you pick up the new ground, I'm betting your new ground is just awesome. All the fertility issues are gone, and it's ready for 300 bushel corn right off the bat. No, probably not.
4: Maybe not that first day.
0: No. <laughs> no. Okay. So, what do you look at? Is soil sampling one of your first things? Or Brian was mentioning, "Hey, if I got dirt work to do, I want to get that done. If I got tiling to do, I want to get that done." To me, soil sampling is job one. But, but how about for you? Yeah, soil
4: sampling is job one to to see what we're working with. But more often than not, Darren, uh, a depletion or you know depleted soils isn't the concern it's balanced soils. I, I find that uh, in, our, in our hills here that uh, calcium, way too much of it. And if I can balance that soil, then I can, then I'll balance the soil first and I'll worry about building it later if I need to, because the balance is the most important
0: thing to me. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I agree with you. The excesses are a lot more difficult to solve sometimes than, hey, we're short in zinc. No problem. We can add zinc out there. That's easy. But you've got way too much calcium. That can be a challenge. So is sulfur part of that answer, or is it just adding more of everything else?
4: Yeah, no, sulfur is part of the answer because we can't outspend Mother Nature. And, you know, like you, you talked about the other gentleman that likes to put his whole build program on. Well, if I put my whole build program on and I have too much calcium, I can't outspend Mother Nature, and all that money I'm investing, a lot of it's going to be tied up by that calcium. So the number one thing to do is to balance the soil uh, and to release everything that's there, and then we'll start building after that.
0: Okay, you've got hills.
4: Yes, and and I— Yes, I do. And I apologize, I didn't answer. Sulfur is 100% the answer, yes.
0: Okay. So you mentioned you've got hilly ground, and I think that's an understatement. But on that ground, it's a little. Now, I think about the flat black ground, and hey, for everybody listening that has flat black ground, I know you've got your challenges too but when you've got that much slope uh, like you do in western iowa i mean it's it's major slope out there i would assume erosion's been an issue in those types of things and and even soil health how how quickly can you turn around some of those things
4: you know it'll take a couple years like you talked about probably 3 years to to fix all of this the most severe spots and you know the the plant food the the liquid feed byproduct that we use Every 500 gallons of that has 100 pounds of sulfur, and it has 170 pounds of organic carbon. That is a lot of what we do. Also, that provides us a lot of phosphorus. And then, you know, uh, one thing I've learned over the years is cover crops. Cover crops, putting them on there, that's going to increase the soil health and the organic master faster than anything else we could do.
0: Yeah, cover crops on hilly ground, I think, are a pretty nice deal. Do you have a favorite crop to start with, with uh, just your crop rotation—corn or soybeans or something like that—and then does that allow you a better shot at getting a cover crop out? If you, I mean, just for a first year when you get started,
4: I—you know—the cover crops on bean stubble, uh, all you know, just because of uh, the the stover that's out there, are a lot easier to get established, and then typically get harvested sooner. So with our cold weather, you know, it's, it's easier to get the cover crops germinated and going. Uh, so I would, I would probably say going to soybeans that first year would be a little bit preferable, which is a change because I used to would rather go to corn. I would almost rather go to beans now.
0: Okay, we're talking about weed control and bugs and diseases and all those things that you just don't know a hundred percent. You don't know. I mean, maybe you do in some cases, but in a lot of cases, you might not know what what the previous. owner or the previous tenant was doing out in that ground. I was suggesting you play defense the first year and just assume that it's going to be a disaster. That way, at least you've got your program in place that, okay, I've got a great pre-emerge program. I've got insecticide down on my corn. I'm planning on a fungicide approach post-emerge. And I've got a variety or a hybrid that can tolerate some stress out there and can tolerate some tough conditions uh do you play defense year one or are you going for going for the glory right off the bat
4: no absolutely we're playing defense year number one you're going to have to increase your budget a little bit and you're probably going to have to temper your enthusiasm on your yields because they're not they probably aren't going to be there right away so you've got a you you can't figure on hitting a home run for income right there you you uh you need to play defense. for and just know that, that that's not going to be your top healing farm effort
0: here. All right. When uh, when you mentioned that, the, the being patient and just understanding, hey, this isn't going to be amazing year one, I agree with you completely. And I, Brian had picked up this piece of ground. I'm going to guess it's probably been four years ago and he got 198 bushel corn year one, throwing the kitchen sink at it, and you know playing defense and doing everything he could, but also being very offensive with his fertility build. And he was so fired up. he's He almost had 200. And he, so I'm afraid now that what little bit of patience he had, I probably lost it, Kelly, so I don't know how to bring him back down from that. He, I I think that uh, all
4: hope is lost there, Darren. I expect, <laughs> expect that all the time now.
0: I know. It's it's fun. I, Brian admits that he does see it, that he is probably one of the least patient people on the earth. My sister, uh, Janelle, through the glass is just laughing right now because she knows it too. It's it's my dad. It is. It's 100% the junior version of my dad, but uh, we, we have fun with it anyway. Uh, Kelly, what else is happening? I, I know you got uh, a lot of stuff coming up yet, this winter, winter meetings, commodity classic, all those kinds of things. Uh, you're getting started set on your farm? Are you ready for planting season? You got a ways to go? Oh, Oh, shoot. You're cutting out, Kelly. You got that famous Western Iowa uh, phone service going on right now. I I will say this, having visited Kelly's farm, it's tough. I I thought it was just the hills. Kelly thinks it's just Western Iowa in general, I believe, but uh, yeah, that gets to be a little bit of a challenge there on the phone. Okay, I think we got him back.
4: Yes, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. It is the Western Iowa phone service. Uh, We're installing a capstan egg select shot system on two of our planters, which it it turns the in-furrow fertilizer on and off. And instead of putting out a five-gallon rate, we'll be putting out more like a three-gallon rate, but it will be concentrated on the seed. And it's going to save money and fertilizer, which is great in these inflationary times. Plus, we hope to see a, yield be, a little yield benefit because of the concentration that will be on the seed. I'm excited about that.
0: Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. There's there's always new things going on out there. And I, I really uh, am happy that there's a lot of progressive guys uh, like your operation, Kelly, for example, that want to try stuff, want to be on the cutting edge, and, and want to figure this thing out first. Because, well, I don't know. 400 was within reach. I'm sure you probably saw it on the yield monitor on your farm as well, getting, getting 390. I, I know it's pretty disappointing, but man, 10 more bushel, count. you're just about there.
4: It was close, and I'll tell you what I think I learned, Darren. I think that we have uh, enough fertility to get over 400. What we learned with some of the trials we had this year is that we need to take the stress off the plant, and that'll be a focus for gotcha. next year. Uh, you know, the some of the things that we saw, I, I have come to say that we don't know what a healthy, stress-free corn plant looks like. And the reason we don't know is because we've never seen one. I, I feel like I saw that this year in some of the trials we had. I'm excited for next year.
0: Outstanding. Well, we're speaking with Kelly Garrett here in Western Iowa about building up new farm ground and what's going on for this season. Kelly, good luck to you. Really appreciate talking to you today and I'm excited for what this year is going to bring for your farm.
4: Thank you, Darren. Anytime.
0: Talking about new farm ground on today's show and taking your calls and agronomic questions. Our phone lines are open at 844 44 AG PHD. We'll be right back.
2: You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, When weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
5: What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC herbicide the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for
0: fall. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD soybean agronomy workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD soybean agronomy workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
5: This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment. Period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva Agriscience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at PowerOverWeeds.com slash Power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide.
0: listening to ag phd radio thanks for joining us today oh you're in for a treat now we're talking about building up new farm ground you heard from kelly garrett in western iowa but are things a little bit different down in alabama i'm not sure so we'll ask our friend chad henderson chad thanks for joining us
6: oh man good good to be on good to be on
0: All right, so uh, Kelly said when he picks up new ground, it's not exactly set up for 300 bushels. And uh, I would say (laughs) our ground is not necessarily set up for 200 bushels up here. How about in Alabama? When you pick up a new piece of ground, is it it really fertile, or you got a lot of work to do? (laughs) Woo,
6: man, that's a loaded question. That's a a loaded question. Most of the time we have a lot of work to do. But, you know, I don't know that we've ever had a farm you know, even in farms we got, you know, it, it's like a work in progress. It's never finished.
0: Oh, that's true. That's absolutely true because we're always pulling nutrients out. The weather is always happening. Things leach away, all those things going on. Yes. You're right. You're right. You're always always having yes. to do some maintenance and improvements out there. So when you get new that's ground, fine. where do you start? In In your neck of the woods, is it soil sampling and fertility angles first or, or are there some other things that are big concerns?
6: So, soil sampling first first and foremost is pH you know if your pH is not right we can't do anything else everything else just stops so first and foremost we can, if we have only money to fix pH we just fix pH and we work with everything else
0: yeah good point and, and for you is that low it's low pH
6: yes yes it's low pH that's correct um we we just picked up a farm just like you said it's a new farm um it's been a long time in farm it's a high red soil as you know but it's uh it's it's low topsoil, and it'll be somewhere around. I've, there's some spots on it. 5, five five two, pH. Sure. You know, yeah. And then we'll turn around and you know our target on that'll be six four. You know, so we're we're ready to lime now.
0: Okay. So talk to me about the lime then. Is it, is it calcitic lime? Do you need magnesium too? So you're using dolomitic lime and are you always using the same source of lime or, lime, or do you have to move around and take different limes for different situations?
6: Well, we, most time we're using, we got a real good source of lime. It's acidic. We can't, we can get some dolomatic and we're, and we're looking at avenues of that now, but it's a pretty long haul. And with trucking the way it is, our problem in these neck of the woods, and you don't really think about it a lot, is our tr- our trucks get the the, the 10 wheelers and the uh, trucks get tied up in construction, hauling sand or gravel or building parking lots. You know, we have a lot of concrete, and a lot of progress going on down here, and they get tied up in that. And so it's hard to get a long haul on lime because it would be somewhere around an hour and a half haul to get dolomatic lime.
0: Okay. Yeah, the so trucky situation's is interesting. Take, so we're low. Haven't heard, haven't heard mm-hmm. this one. I, I, I do like that. That as uh, you say, that there's progress happening there, and and a lot of construction and so forth. But man, that's that's yeah. disappointing that you just can't get a truck yeah. to get her done.
6: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's. I mean, I've, I've, you know, been asked several times to hire on our just our our truck that we have to haul gravel around the shop. Hire on for eighty-five or ninety dollars an hour. It's very tempting, you know, just just start oh, hiring yeah. through
0: trucking instead of, <laughs> you know, that's better. That's better than farming farm some roads. days.
6: <laughs> exactly, but we start with pH. We start with lime and we're low mag, and a uh, high cal is where we're at on the farms. Okay.
0: Yeah. I I think about some of the others. Brian was talking about this too. And I I think, well, I I just picked up some new ground this year. And we look at P and K and zinc and copper and some of these nutrients that Mm -hmm. really don't leach, don't move around a whole bunch. I mean, we've got heavy Mm -hmm. soil and we're frozen for half the year. And you know, we're trying to build those things up right away. We've we've had good luck. Mm-hmm. We know some of it, like potash, it's not all going to break down immediately and be available. It's going to take a little bit of time. So we're working on some of those big things right away. But mm-hmm. like you say, you got to have, all right, well, if I get enough money to fix one thing, pH is number one. For yep. us, uh, we don't have as much pH concern, although this new ground that I picked up, the, we did have some low spots for pH. But yep. the P and K were low, and I, I just Shall pulled we? the trigger right away.
6: Yep, it was really interesting to look at those samples where the lime was around five two or five three. Um, let's say, for instance, the number on the uh, potash on the K would be somewhere around two thirty to three hundred. Okay. okay, where the number was five eight, the next grid over was five eight. That number would be one hundred and twenty. that tells you how much it didn't didn't absorb. It just being that half a point off yeah you know and the same thing was true for the p and the zinc it was all where we dropped a half a point to five two five three five four we would double it would be half that or it would double it the other way when you went to um zinc p or k that just tells you how much has hadn't been used
0: you know, I like that you're talking about the micros too, because we, and, and I get guilty of this sometimes as well. You talk about NP and K, because mm-hmm. honestly, they're the ones that hurt the pocketbook yep. the worst. But yep. but those micros are really critical too.
6: Yep. Yep. Well, you got to have one, and you know, everything plays hand in hand, and you just got to start with the one that you think can Im- impact the most and then work your way down. That's why we said it at the first, you know, I don't know if we'll ever be finished with a farm, you know, I, I don't know if it'll ever, ever quit. Cause as we increase our phosphorus, you know, we're going to increase our zinc, you know, and a lot of times, you know, our, our phosphorus and zinc may be out of whack. Well, do I decrease one or increase the other one? I'm all about increase.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sure is easy to decrease the phosphorus. I know that cause our crops use plenty <laughs> of that. You have to write that check every year, but, but that zinc, I, I know we need it. And I know our crops are going to pull in a good amount of it, but they aren't removing a huge amount. So you're right. If we way overdo it on zinc, oh, man, it's uh – it's hard to, to draw that number down real fast. Yeah. The, the balance piece is one that we get so many questions around, and you mentioned that phosphorus to zinc, but but there are others. When you look at your high-yielding ground, because you've, you've got some great ground where you're crushing 300-plus bushels mm-hmm. and, and doing really a fantastic job with, but I know you've got a lot of draw out of there. You're pulling a lot of fertility out. What do you find as the things that, uh, man, I'm constantly on my high-yield ground having to push a certain nutrient?
6: Well the, the biggest thing that we do for the best bang for a buck is the chicken litter. Because it's it's not about you know about the nutrients we can put back, it's about the available nutrients that we can get back. You know, we you know, we all know we've said for years if somebody could go out and, and buy a four hundred bushel blend from their local co op or nutrient or Helena or whatever, you know, we, we would all go buy it. You right. know, because it would make sense. But we it's about the available nutrients and the complete package you know when you start going litter 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 well then you know you got to be careful because you'll get things out of whack but the litter is the most available source that we have and then we have to touch it with other parts of the puzzle so we continually sample our litter as well the same way to know where we're at
0: you know, it got me thinking when you mentioned the litter, and I, I was just thinking about manure or or other sources of fertility like that that we've added. We're, we're generally tilling that into the soil. And one of the things that we find in, in some of this uh, newer ground is, you know what, there's some compaction issues out there, just like even on the ground that we own and have had for a while. You got in and it wasn't quite fit in one little part of the field, or or it was wet at harvest or something, and, and you're trying to fix things up. Do you have a lot of issues with that where you're at, Chad, with the soils that you're farming? Do you have a lot of compaction challenges? We
6: we we do we do, and you wouldn't be you'd be surprised. I don't know, you know, at how much an irrigator will compact. You know, we on average will put out about eight inches of rain. You know, through the pivot, I guess you'd say rain, but eight inches of water through the pivot. Is what my average is and so that consists most time of about anywhere from 12 to 15 16 passes with the irrigation system and you'd be surprised how it packs the ground just that water on it you know and you don't really think about it but it does um so we have those compaction issues and then you know i don't know i've tried to weigh it out whether you know when you're harvesting you got the grain cart do you take the same path or do you take a different path you know do we compact the whole field or just one spot and fix it you know, so we're always battling that, and you know somebody's gonna drive in the field and turn a trailer truck around. You know, so we're we're with y'all on that. I'm I'm constantly combating compaction. You know.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge, and like you say, there's a lot it's of different a- ways to think about it. A lot of different farmers have uh, other approaches to it, and that's fine. Everybody's got the right yeah. to do it their own way, but we definitely got to watch that out in fields, no doubt. Uh, we're talking with Chad Henderson yeah. down in Alabama, high-yield grower, also works with the Extreme Ag Group. Uh, Chad, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today.
6: Enjoy it. Enjoy it. It's always, it's always a pleasure. Always learning something.
0: You bet. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you later this winter at some of these meetings coming up. And, and for anybody listening today, if you get a chance to, to catch uh, Chad in action at speaking at one of these meetings or, or Kelly Garrett that we talked to earlier, I highly recommend it. they got a lot of great tips, uh, real farmers with real challenges, no doubt. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com.
3: Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work. How to put something ahead of myself. Whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock, or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case
2: IH. Built by farmers.
4: Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPVD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide-resistant weeds, such as Palmer amaranth and waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit belchemusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
5: Now bring you an important news bulletin.
2: This just in from Live Action News.
5: Innovation has come to the world of burn down.
2: New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS resistant weeds like mares tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elavor herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burn down.
0: Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to AgPHD PhD Radio. It is time for the Ag PhD Mailbag. I've got a number of questions that have come in uh, over the weekend here, which is great. And we're going to try and dive through as many of those as we can. We'll also keep our phone lines open at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you have a question and want to call in, we'll get you right on. Uh, i get this one from Robert. And Robert says... for in-furrow soybean products, you recommend low salt content. I'm wondering which products you use and which you would recommend for other farmers.
1: Well, I would first say you got to be really careful because with soybeans, you can have a lot of problems in furrow. So our first piece of advice is go two by two to be safe. For us, yes, we are using in the range of, depending on the year, a quart to two gallons in furrow. We're using low salt stuff, whether it was ProGerminator or SureK that liquid makes or a micro blend, micro 1000, um, something like that is what we're typically doing. And we're blending it with water.
0: Yeah, I agree that that two by two just adds that safener of a, a nice layer of soil in between the seed and where that fertility at. And that's that's a really good deal. Uh, also, you know, as you build up your soil and you build up organic matter and those types of things, uh, you can add a little bit of safety factor there. But e- even so, you just want to be really cautious with anything infra. I, I like the infra space for fungicide if you need that. I like the infra space for microbial products, for inoculants, those types of things. They work great in the infra. Yeah. All right, thanks for the question. Well,
1: inoculant I'd way rather have on the the seed. I mean, I don't like that in furrow at all. I like that way better as a seed treatment. But some other microbials, yes, I'm on board with that. And if you ever did have to use an insecticide, because Capture LFR is labeled. There are people that now are going to be putting thymet on for gall midge larvae, things like that. That makes a lot of sense in furrow too, but just be really careful about fertilizer.
0: Uh, I get a question from Mark and Mark said, is chelating of micronutrients necessary or unnecessary for foliar applications? I'm just thinking about it and there's no soil to tie up the product if you put it on the leaf. I'm wondering, could you save money and buy straight micros or is it not worth it? Do you need that chelate for some other reason?
1: Okay. I would suggest, let's say you got two options. One's chelated, one's not. Try them both. And then see what you get for a yield gain, number one. And number two, do some plant tissue analysis. Let's call it a week after you spray and two weeks after you spray. And just see if you have, and actually you should test right beforehand too, to see what you have for a nutrient content in the leaves and just see which one gives you the best response. So I just say in general, foliar fertilizer is, um, in our experience, in our dry country. It's inconsistent. So I, I can't just tell you, oh, for sure the chelates absolutely going to pay better than the other one. They might, neither one of them might pay. And then to take this one step further, I would just say, you got to really look at what do you actually need? Because for example, if you said, okay, well, I'm going to spray out some foliar copper. Well, maybe your plant doesn't even need copper. So what good is that going to do you if you don't know you need it? So it really kind of goes back to the start, and by the start, I mean the soil test. When you look at your soil test and you've got your nutrients in balance and you have good levels of everything, then the foliar feeding is just flat out less likely to pay. It still can pay, and we'd
0: still tell you try some
1: stuff, but then your odds are better if you can just get that fertility right in the beginning.
0: All right, thanks for the question, Mark. We appreciate that. Brian, have you got the, the dairy uh, information from Randy pulled up on your computer? I'll dive into that. Uh, got questions, came in from Randy in East Central Minnesota. He sent in a manure sample, and he also sent in some soil samples. And this is kind of interesting. So Randy's got a dairy. He's in East Central Minnesota. And he put on 11,500 gallons of dairy manure per acre. And he said salt hasn't been a problem for us, but I, I'm not sure. And I haven't had salt on the test before, so they'll have to change what they're doing for testing. But he said looking at, at his soil test, he's got a few questions. Uh, he's, he's doing half the farm to alfalfa. The other half of the farm is corn for silage says, first question is with zinc. And he said, you guys talk about the phosphorus to zinc ratio being somewhere around 10 to 1. Just wondering which phosphorus reading are you talking about uh, to get your phosphorus? We've got the Bray P1 and P2 tests on our soil test now. Would you use the P1 or the P2?
1: I'd use the P1 if we're talking 10 to 1. The ratio needs to be uh, the ratio is going to be a little bit different with the P2. But I would probably look at the P1 if it was me. That's what we've done a lot of our, our work with in the past. So now that we're going to Malik tests, we're looking at something a little bit different. And we're going actually, what we found this past year was a little tighter ratio. In other words, like a 7 to 1 or an 8 to 1 or something like that. But when we when we used to compare the P1 to the zinc with using a DTPA test on zinc, then we were going 10 to 1 that was about where we needed to be with P1 phosphorus to DTPA test for zinc
0: okay randy oh, and
1: i don't have these there and i didn't get these on my computer by the way oh okay but- I'm sure we can. I'm sure we can, we can work, work our it. way through it. Yeah.
0: Okay. So so Randy said he was listening to our soils clinic online. He said he he's got the dairy, so he was doing chores. But he said Bluetooth headphones as he did chores, and he said he even sent in questions about alfalfa that you guys answered. And he said, "Yes, Brian, I know I need potassium." And then he put a bunch of dollar signs out. Uh, so okay, here's his challenge. He said he started at around a pH of five point nine. With this dairy, but they're doing uh, sand for bedding, and the source for that sand was washed lime fines, and he said I don't have a test for that but it was anywhere from fine to three sixteenths of an inch. I'm wondering what will happen to those bigger rocks. Will they just stay rocks or is that going to break that lime going to break down and change his pH over time? When he started the dairy, he had a pH of five, nine. Now he's got pHs up to seven, two, seven, three. And he said, I haven't worried about it too much since I've got alfalfa, but do you think this is going to be an issue for us?
5: Hmm. Uh
1: Um, I guess I'm not familiar with that, so I don't know exactly what he's dealing with there and how much of it, so that's really hard to say. I I mean, I feel like usually I have enough experience and I've dealt with just about everything, but this would be a little bit of a new one to me.
0: Well, I guess if you think about it, we always talk about lime, and if you've got a fine grind of lime and it makes it through a 100-mesh screen, it's going to come available pretty quickly and over three years most of its impact is going to be felt if you've got very coarse lime will the ph effect be felt ever or will it just be a really really long drawn out thing it sounds to me and i don't know how many years that you've had this dairy randy but uh, if you started at a five nine and now you're up over seven it's it's certainly influencing your ph what you're doing And that's something to keep an eye on. He said he's been putting on 25 pounds of elemental sulfur, but looking at his soil test, there's only five parts per million left when he pulled those soil samples this fall. So, yeah, you definitely are going to need some sulfur out there, no doubt about it. And if it was me and I wanted to draw that pH down a little bit, but not too low since I've got alfalfa on half the ground, I'd probably go a little bit stronger than that with my elemental sulfur. Maybe I'd go 50 to 100 pounds.
1: Well, it's a possibility, but we also have to ask the question: Is there good drainage out
0: there? He's got pattern I'm tile. Not... He's got pattern tile, but he's okay. also got around a twenty CEC, so he's got heavy ground with four percent organic matter.
1: Yeah. So, it, as far as this lime deal, again, I, I I'm not totally familiar with what exactly what you've got there, but yeah, if the pH has gone up that much over the years, then you're going to have to do something to counteract it potentially. Uh, And Darren Janelle just sent me those soil tests, and yes, with the K levels, they do need to increase. They're really low in a lot of cases. The other thing that we're missing here is nitrate and literally all the micronutrients for several of the tests. We'd really like to see that. You start getting those nutrients in balance, and yeah, I'd probably push the elemental sulfur a little more, and that pH will probably neutralize.
0: All right, thanks for the questions, Randy. We really appreciate it. We'll dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag again right after this. It came in waves. Ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0.
2: Always read and follow label directions.
0: How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other AgPHD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. Learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
2: It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit mybayerplus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Fill once, plant all day.
0: You're listening to AG PhD radio. We're right in the middle of the AG PhD mailbag time and you can join us by calling at 84444 AG PhD or you can email us as well and we'll answer your question radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, uh, get one in from Craig up in New York and he said when you're using pre-emerge herbicides in wheat, specifically prepare, Do you want to incorporate that before planting the wheat or would you plant the wheat and then spray it on later?
1: I'd probably plant the wheat and spray it on later because it does have burn down activity. Now, if you want to do it in advance, you can. So, I mean, either way is fine. Most herbicides I like pre-plant, but in this case, I could really go either way. And like I say, you know, because of its good burn down activity, typically I'm fine. If you want to wait until after you plant the wheat, but either way,
0: all right. Uh, thanks for the question, Craig. Got another wheat uh, comment. In fact, this is feedback from Jeff, who was at the Ag PhD Wheat and Soil Workshops last week. He said, "Hard to express all the gratitude I have from attending your workshops. I've attended many others." And I've also attended your field day and continue to learn. As uh, Just one other comment here. As a result of your workshop on tiling that I attended back in 2010 – I installed tile on my land in the fall of 2011, and it has been one of the best investments I have made in my financial life. Thanks again. I plan on attending your upcoming tiling clinic and your field day this summer. Hey, thanks, Jeff. We really appreciate that. Yeah, we get a lot of comments about the tiling, that guys either had some challenges, they thought that they couldn't get it done, and they they learned that they could, or they just finally realized, hey this is my problem. It is drainage. It's not this this, or that or the other thing and I, I better deal with it now. And man, Jeff, we, we hear a lot of comments like that. We really appreciate yours. That's that's very encouraging for us. Thank you. Uh, got this one in from Raymond and Raymond said, I am a brand new corn farmer and I'm just curious, are there any books that you're aware of designed for a first time corn grower and are there books talking about weeds and how to eliminate them and all the terminology that you use on your show? I love your show, and I understand uh, it's it's for full time farmers, but it's explained so even I can understand a lot of it. Hey, thanks, Ray. Really appreciate that. All right, Brian. What about books? If you're raising corn for the first time, would you start with Iowa State's "How a Corn Plant Develops," or would you just say, "Come to the Ag PhD Corn Workshop coming up"? <laughs>
1: Well, there are a lot of things you can read. The problem is there are not a lot of things that are going to give you all of it in one shot like we will typically do for what you really need in production agriculture today. But, yeah, I mean, by all means, I'd I'd be reading things. We talk often on the show about Neil Kinsey. You can check out his stuff. You can look at Iowa State University or Purdue or Texas A&M or, you know, any of these really good ag universities and see any of their work, South Dakota State, North Dakota State. But if you've got specific questions, just let us know and and then we can help guide you through that. So we're we're trying with Ag PhD, the TV show, radio, our magazine, everything we do on our website, uh, all these meetings we do, the field day, to hopefully help give you some good directions so you can raise a great crop.
0: All right, Brian, did you get the the soil test here from yep. from Alexander? Yep. Okay. Uh, so Alexander from Northeast Texas sent in some soil samples. He said, uh, I joined you on all three workshop days this past week watching live stream since I wasn't able to be there in person. They were great. I learned a lot and I've got a few questions on my own farm soil samples. He's farming roughly 3,000 acres of corn, soybeans, and winter wheat in Northeast Texas. And, uh, He's got a bunch of comments here about the soils, but uh, just wondering what you would see in these soil tests. And he said, for example, regarding the the soil test on page 87 in your book showing high calcium, seems very comparable to the soil test that I've received over the past few years, Uh, although that one shows excess lime to be high. And I'm just looking at, at Alexander's test. Looks like we got a lot of excess lime in the medium category. Uh, So, uh, wondering how you feel about my calcium levels and should I run another type of soil test? Do you think my excess lime would have thrown things off?
1: Okay, so for our listeners, let me give you the quick summary. His potassium levels are about 1.5%, but they're also around 250 parts per million. His calcium is in the mid-90s. So, low to mid 90s. And part of the reason why is this excess Lyme thing. On a lot of his tests, it's medium. His magnesium levels are around 4 or 5%. So, is it likely that his cation exchange capacity and his calcium levels are overstated? Yes, it is likely. So, Neil Kinsey, for example, does a cation displacement test. And yes, Alexander, you could do that. Even just take one of your spots where you had high Lyme and or I should say high excess or medium excess lime and really high calcium levels. And just send that in to Neil Kinsey, see what he says. But I'm going to guess that it's going to bring the calcium down some, but you're still not going to get your magnesium up to 12%. You're still not going to get your potassium up to 4%. So almost for sure, you're going to need some K and some mag out there. Plus, it, when when I look at your tests anytime I see calcium levels like that, and high pH, it's usually an indicator to me of, number one, I want to check how's my drainage. As long as I have good drainage, then I want to be applying some elemental sulfur. So anytime there's a choice of which sulfur you can pick, you just want to be picking elemental sulfur in that case when the calcium level is really high. We're going to try to drive that down over time. And it's not like it's super cheap or anything, but we just want to be using some elemental sulfur that'll help make some nutrients available. And then beyond that i just say your boron's at a part per million or less and it certainly could be higher than that your copper is at a part per million or less and that absolutely needs to be higher than that i'm shooting for two or three at least all the time um, iron levels are a little on the low side i'm not sure about manganese you'd have to run a malic test to find out on manganese for sure because it looks like you just have a dtpa here and then your phosphorus and your zinc are low so for our uh our listeners the, the Olson phosphorus test, he's around 25, 30, something like that. His zinc is around 1.5 parts per million, and its sulfur is single digits. So almost everything on this test is low other than calcium.
0: Okay. Uh, one question that he had, too, on sample 11A, why is that pH almost a full point lower than everywhere else? What's different on that sample? Do you think that's accurate?
1: Okay, I just pulled that up now. Uh, it is a well, lot less 7. parts
0: 3. per million of calcium. It's right. uh, 1,000 to 2,000 uh, points less. So, yeah, if you look down well, yeah, at, at 11C, 7, 11C is just slightly higher, but uh, is also fairly low, and it's just a little low parts per, lower parts per million calcium. That would be my guess. Yeah. And it's so, also a little lighter soil, so it's a little – the CEC is less.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, it's still high. But Yeah, why is it lower? I don't know exactly why. Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I don't, I don't see anything just looking at it real quick. All Hard right. to say.
0: The other thing is uh, you mentioned building on a number of things. What would you prioritize first? Would you say magnesium first? Would you say potassium first, or would you just use K-Mag and do both at the same time?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm probably doing K-Mag, and I mean, it depends on the spot in the field we're talking about, because some of the spots, it looks like we're, we're pretty low on phosphorus, so N, P, and K have to be the focus right away. Now, I, I, I would I would try to scratch out a few dollars for some of the micronutrients, especially the secondary nutrient sulfur, if I can, and and, and that's going to help. The other thing I'll throw out there, because he's from Texas, I don't know where, if any livestock is, uh, well, let's put it this way. I don't know what he's going to go with for crop rotation. And the sodium levels are down to 0.3%, not a real big deal if you're just raising corn and soybeans. But let's say that he was going to grow something for livestock, grow some brassicas or whatever to graze, you know, then you'd want to be getting that sodium level up. But I mean, that's, I, I, sodium and a lot of these micros I'm not super worried about. It's NPK and elemental sulfur is probably where my focus is in the beginning.
0: All right, Alexander, thank you for the questions. Thanks for your support too of our workshops. We really appreciate that and, and we're certainly welcome to any follow-up questions. You had quite a few soil tests there and a lot going on. Uh, so if, there, yeah, if there's anything we need to follow up on, just let us know. Had a fun show today talking about building up new farm ground and And uh, always a lot to consider there and a lot of excitement, too, as you get going on the new ground. Like Brian said, his worst thing is no patience. He wants it all right now. Well, thanks for listening to our show today and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.